Friends and listeners, welcome and mahalo for joining us here on the outskirts of High Strangers, where you will find Phenomenal City Limits. We're a podcast that will, every month, explore tales of the weird. Open-minded, irreverent, and authorities on absolutely nothing. That's us. Um, like last month, if you followed us here from our last incarnation as All Night with the Living Geeks, thanks for sticking with us. And if you're new in town, welcome. Thanks for joining us here at Phenomenal City Limits. I'm your host, Taylor, and across the table from me today is my brother, Seb. Seb, how you doing? I'm doing great. Taking care of business, baby, you know? We're, yeah, every day. We're, uh, you know, got the rain coming down. Uh, you just got back from, wait, would you, what would, you, would you call this America's Greatest Doctor Who Convention? The World's Greatest Doctor Who Convention? What, what I, 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 I would at least call it America's Greatest Doctor Who Convention. All right. I don't want to speak for the entire planet. Okay, okay. You know? Um, but yeah, Gallifrey one, absolutely a fantastic Doctor Who convention. Awesome. Um, yeah, so just got back from basically three and a half days down in Los Angeles, uh, hanging with friends, seeing celebrities, uh, just having a good time, kind of just taking a, a bit of a mental break from the universe for a few days, which was nice. Yep, yep. Um, yeah, got back yesterday evening, uh, even as storms were starting to blow in. So that that's all well and good. And then, yeah, here it is. Kind of one one day off to get this recording in and back to work tomorrow. Did you have a highlight, a personal highlight of the convention? Oh, gosh. Well, yeah, actually. Um, so I, I, if you couldn't tell from our intro music, I definitely dig tiki culture. <laughs> um, and uh, me and a friend uh, organized a uh whovians who tiki um meetup uh by the pool of this magnificent mid-century kind of like mod looking hotel Mm. um on saturday right in the middle of the afternoon so that that was perfect and you know a lot of it was word of mouth and uh you know we were in the program and the schedule and everything so it was there Mm. but you know if you don't really kind of know what it is you might not come out to it. Mm. So there was a lot of just kind of like chit chatting with people as, as the, as the con got started and kind of like mentioning it and encouraging people to come out, even if they didn't have like a Hawaiian shirt to wear mm. um, or anything like that. It's like, doesn't matter. Just come out, just come hang, just come hang by the pool for an hour Nice for a good time. You know, we had music. We actually had two separate ukulele players what? show up. We would un- didn't organize any of that. They just, brought their stuff and played and that was really awesome sweet um we probably had close to four dozen people show up which i mean for for a first time i we think that's huge we are stoked cool and we are we are very excited to organize an even bigger one next year that's awesome man yeah we're very happy about that it's a good time nice yeah so seb because i kind of had a lot of work going on and kind of the con to prepare for uh, you were like, hey, dude, I have got basically this entire show that I wrote up and prepared because I thought I was going to have jury duty. Yes, this is. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Good news. You didn't have jury duty. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. But I was OK. I was kind of sweating it. So I thought, you know what, if I'm going to get stuck in a jury, I should probably, you know, get some stuff on paper, you know, sooner rather than later. And, and the, the net result was I kind of had a show already in the can by the time we finished last month's episode. So. I mean, at least in terms of research and stuff, yep. yeah. I was I was reading it over before uh, heading down to L.A. I'm I'm impressed. So, nice. Seb, why don't you tell us about the Orion Cube? Yes, yes, folks, ladies and gentlemen, you are in for a treat tonight. I hope. 
Um, we're going to explore some weird corners of the UFO mythology, the UFO story, so to speak. Um, and Taylor, correct me if I'm wrong, you know, you and I, we were both growing up late, late 1980s, early 1990s. Yep. Yep. You know, you, we, we would turn on the TV and what we would see, we would see In Search of, Unsolved Mysteries, we'd see sightings, all these TV shows saying that UFOs yeah. had crashed and the government had retrieved wreckage and all this stuff. And, and if we turned off the TV and turned on the radio, what would we hear? We would hear Art Bell talking about UFO crashes. And, mm-hmm. and, and mm-hmm. if we thought, hey, you know what, let's turn off all that stuff. Let's go to the bookcase. Let's, let's pick up a book to flip through. What does it end up being? It's going to be the Time Life Mysteries of the Unknown series, UFO That's crashes, right alien yep. bodies it, this stuff was just coming out of the woodwork left right and center right mm-hmm. and we were so inundated with all this stuff that i was left with like these two big questions that even to this day like still bounce around the inside of my skull and okay the first question is basically like okay let's say the government has crashed ufos and they're covering it up like mm-hmm. like what's the reason behind the idea that they want like are they trying to avoid mass panic do they want to avoid shock to organized religion are they rich oil bankers and they don't want free energy technology out there it's like i've always wondered like what's the thought process behind the cover up and then right the second question that bounces around my head is like if the, if all this shit's true like what 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 of their technology would be of most interest to me like is it the ability to travel vast distances in a small amount of time is it like you know energy sources that could clean up the planet is it like technologies that could cure diseases like mm-hmm. i always just daydream about this stuff i mean do you have any personal thoughts about those two questions like what you what your guts is telling you about those two questions um oh my gosh um i don't know mm-hmm. honestly because i'm i'm not i'm not certain that anyone has a i'm not certain that you know anyone has been reverse engineering anything um that's fair but i mean i think if you asked like you know teenage me yeah um i think it would be like the 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 ability to travel vast distances mm-hmm. um rapidly or relatively rapidly um and and yeah i mean i I probably i probably thought at that time that you know the government was hiding stuff from us because like every good teenager in 20 something you don't trust the government and then Mm -hmm. you know you you get older and you're completely justified in your in in your feelings on that i know and we grew up with the x-files and that was a huge theme of that show exactly so uh, last year we recorded an episode where we discussed the case of a ufo contactee from florida named john reeves that's right. That was that was episode thirty five of All Night with the Living Geeks, yep. and um, uh, uh, I just loved it because it had a had a VW bus in the story. It did. It did, and or potentially did. Potentially. Um, now, one of the goofier parts of that story was when Reeves allegedly picked up a softball sized crystal one while on a trip to the moon. Yes, as you do. And you know, it's one of the goofier parts of the story. But that, I'll be honest with you, that hit me like a ton of bricks, and I got super excited. Yeah, I remember you getting very excited by that when we when we did that episode. Totally. As it turns out, I've been fascinated lately with an obscure and extraordinary piece of alleged extraterrestrial technology that superficially resembles Reeves' crystal. Whoa! Um, so not many UFO researchers seem to talk about this crystal these days. But for a brief time in the late 1980s and early 1990s, there was a flurry of information about this dingus. As, it, <laughs> this dingus? It, the, the dingus, exactly. I, 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 I thought a dingus was like was like a door. <laughs> well, well, you know, like, could it, could gadget. Could a dingus be, be a thing? A thing, a gadget. Okay. okay. What's it? 
As, yeah. as far as I can tell, there isn't even a single name. This is how obscure this, this thing is. Wow. I've heard some people call it Yellow Book. I've heard other people call it Looking Glass. And the, the phrase that I've heard that I like the most because it sounds the coolest is Orion Cube. So that's kind of like I mean, what I'm going for with this, this episode, you know? Because you... really, why would you call it Yellow Book? That's, that's, that's where you look up a plumber. Right? Exactly. Yeah. So now, here's the thing. Like, I've never been super interested. I, I feel like I'm a really bad UFO researcher because, like, I'm never really super interested in whether or not, like, the stories I read about are, like, true or not true. Like, mm-hmm. I, I really only care about if they're entertaining or if they're boring, right? So, <laughs> you know, sometimes that is all that matters. Yeah. I mean, Am I entertained? It's like, from that perspective, I can never lose. But also, like, it takes me down some weird roads that probably most researchers wouldn't go down necessarily or at least they'd see big red flags and turn their car around i guess possibly but anyway the orion cube the tale of the orion cube is in my opinion one of the most interesting stories because it offers a possible answer to some of those two big questions i talked about earlier and it's in my opinion if it's real right and that's the big if i think it might be the same answer to both questions which is crazy Okay. So now here's the thing. Unfortunately, I've not been able to find a single book, article, or website which attempts to piece together all the stories and legends about this device. Rather, I've only been able to find snippets of information spread across various different sources. So tonight's episode is, for all intents and purposes, a podcast version of that famous crazy conspiracy theory map guy meme. Which, you know you know what that means. I'm going to need you to pose a certain way and take a picture. And then I'm going to make that our cover art. Right. Um, and in, in trying to untangle this mixed up history of the Orion Cube, we're going to touch upon things like Bob Lazar, Area 51, ESP, time travel, the Freemasons, Captain, Captain BJ Honeycutt from the TV show MASH, and strawberry flavored ice cream. Oh, my good heavens. And you know what's worth noting, listeners? Uh, March is Time Traveler Awareness Month. What? So That's amazing. Let's, let's, let's be aware of the time travelers in our lives. Let's be aware. Um, so there's a lot of information tonight, and I thought to make it more bite-sized, the way to kind of think about this, ladies and gentlemen, is there's going to be basically four main chapters or parts to the story. And the first chapter I'm going to title Falcon. So let's start with chapter number one. So as far as I can tell, this whole story of the Orion Cube begins back in October 1988. Okay. And a two-hour television broadcast of UFO Cover-Up Live, hosted by the... Oh, wait, wait. Oh, hold on. Oh, hold on. Hold on. Let's, read, let's read the title accurately. Oh, yes. UFO Cover-Up Live. <laughs> yes, thank you. Because there's a question mark and an exclamation point. Right. And a hyphen and a and colon. And a colon. Yeah, that's... Oh, man. Was, yeah, but you're the English major amongst us. So, yeah, yeah, sorry. So yes, yes, this this amazing TV event, it was hosted by the actor Mike Farrell, you know, BJ Honeycutt, and this live TV event featured, it was basically a who's who of flying saucers, Stan Freeman, Bud Hopkins, Bruce McAbee, Bill Moore, John Schuschler, Jamie Shandera, former Project Blue Book director, Colonel Robert Friend, Jesse Marcel Jr., Betty Cash, Vicky Landrum, all the sorts of people I'm seeing on TV on a daily basis or reading about in my UFO books. It's like right. It's like everybody's hanging out in this one TV show. I have to admit, though, Cash and Landrum sounds like it could be a country music act. It does, doesn't it? It does. Um, so the show features two mysterious men in black silhouettes and electronically altered voices codenamed Falcon and Condor. And these were like 
alleged UFO insiders, government insiders right. who were given like secret information to the TV crew. Yeah. Right. Now, some writers think that Condor was really an Air Force scientist and defense intelligence agency employee named Colonel Robert Collins. And according to IMDb.com, Falcon <laughs> was the notorious <laughs> UFO disinformation agent Richard Doty. I mean, look, if, if IMDb says it, it's got to be true, right? <laughs> Our first bed, big red flag of the evening, ladies and gentlemen. I mean, you're not wrong. <laughs> now, listeners to our show who might remember our Dulce episode might recall that Doty, a U.S. Air Force Office of Special Investigations agent, helped fake an alien invasion plot against the Earth to distract a UFO investigator named Paul Benowitz. So, anyway, during the program, Falcon alias Doty claims that there is a secret book within the intelligence community called the, quote, Bible, which, okay. which contains all sorts of information about UFOs, alien autopsies, and all sorts of stuff. And let's listen to a brief audio clip of that section right now. We asked Falcon where he found out so much about extraterrestrial biological entities, or EBEs. This book, or it's called the Bible within the MJ-12 community, contains historically everything that occurred from the Truman era up through the three aliens being gifts of the United States government, technological data gathered from the aliens, medical history gathered from dead aliens that were found in the desert, autopsy information gathered from dead aliens found in the desert, and information obtained from the extraterrestrials regarding their social structure and their information pertaining to the universe. Now, Falcon also describes our mysterious crystal, what I like to call the Orion Cube, and he talks about how this device can apparently show events that happened in the past. And let's take a listen to that. So... Oh. Listen, listen to it after the train shows up. <laughs> right. Do, do. Was there an additional source of information? Presently, as of the year 1988, there is one extraterrestrial being. He's a guest of the United States government, and he's remained hidden from public view. The Yellow Book is a book that was exclusively written by the second alien. The book relates to the alien's planet, solar system, suns, the culture, the society makeup on the planet, the social structure of the aliens, and the aliens' life among Earthlings. What was most intriguing to me in my experience with the aliens is a, I believe, an octagon-shaped crystal, which when held in the alien's hand and viewed by a second person displays pictures these pictures could be, can be of the alien's home planet or pictures of Earth many thousands of years ago. Uh, at this point, the television program features a funky courtroom art, artist-type illustration of a gray alien holding the magic crystal in its hand and two little aliens peer back, almost like somebody FaceTiming on a smartphone. Oh, boy. So this device is supposedly a holographic image generator, a special type of holographic records and quantum viewing unit that documents our Earth history. Also, based on the artist's rendition, it appears that the government has housed the alien in the Keaton's house from Family Ties. Well, that's exciting. (laughs) 
We've also learned from Falcon that in addition to the crystal and the government's quote-unquote Bible, there is something called the Yellow Book, which tells the history of the aliens from the perspective of their own culture and homeworld. Hmm, okay. From what I've been able to learn, UFO cover-up live is pretty much <laughs> pretty much despised by serious UFO researchers, in part because of Falcon's claim that aliens like to eat strawberry-flavored ice cream. And, uh, uh, <laughs> I mean, hey... They're really smart creatures, so why wouldn't they like one of the best flavors out there? Let's take a listen. We asked about their diet. They do eat vegetables. They like vegetables. And their favorite dish or snack is ice cream, especially strawberry. Well, the next time you're in an ice cream parlor, just quietly notice who orders strawberry, okay? So that finishes our first chapter tonight. Now, our second chapter, I like the title, Bob Lazar. And this is the next stop in our story. It's actually 1991, so we're a few years later down the road. Lazar has already kind of come out, gone public, appeared on television, started telling his story. And now he's selling a mail-order VHS tape called (laughs) the Lazar Tape and Excerpts from the Government Bible. So, you know, he's saying Government Bible. That's kind of like what Dodie was using, right? Right. And uh, this videotape... um, it, there's a couple different people online who have put whole copies up on YouTube. Um, oh, nice! Some versions are like the the image quality is better than others, but it's it's a it's a beautiful snapshot of like early '90s UFO like paranoia world, you know? Yeah, yeah. There, that's um, yeah. Just things just aren't the same anymore, are they? It's yeah. It's it's so like I don't know, just so homegrown. You know what I mean? <laughs> Um, and this video, so it's it's starring and sold by Bob Lazar. He recounts the tales of his employment at Area 51 as mm-hmm. four reverse engineering UFOs. Now, he doesn't mention any crystals in the tape, but at the very, very end, he mentions some interesting things for tonight's show. He talks okay. about some of the other alleged secret programs being carried out by the government at Area 51. So let's, ah. let's take a listen to that clip right now. The program out at Area S4 consisted of three projects. Project Galileo, Project Sidekick, and Project Looking Glass. Project Galileo dealt with gravity propulsion and was the source of all the information you've learned in this first section. Project Sidekick dealt with a beam weapon that had a neutron source and was focused by a gravity lens. Project Looking Glass dealt with the physics of seeing back in time. Now, I was not personally involved with the hardware of Project Sidekick or Looking Glass, and those projects are beyond the scope of this video. Now, apparently, according to Lazar, the government is involved with efforts to see back in time, at least according to this tape. Now, he doesn't explain why or how this might be possible, but could Falcon's magic crystal conceivably be involved? Yeah, that's interesting to kind of think about because it, it this does kind of seem like a, I don't know, device is the right word, I guess device, mm-hmm. that kind of we're getting these, just these little elements here and there. It's like it's a little bit of this a little bit of column A, a little bit of column B kind of thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. This is this is interesting. I, I, I like where you're going with this. Yeah. Lazar does claim that he read briefing documents that stated the aliens possessed photographic evidence from Earth's distant past. So that's kind of interesting. Because they had film cameras, apparently. Right. So let's take a listen to that clip really quick. The beings are three to four feet tall and weigh 25 to 50 pounds. They have grayish skin and large heads with almond-shaped wraparound eyes. They have very slight nose, mouth, and ear positions and are hairless. 
Any dates in the information regarding these beings were written in a six-digit number which began with 1623. Since I had no idea what the six-digit number was for the present year, I had no way of calculating when these beings arrived, or at least arrived this time. These beings said that they had been visiting Earth for a long time and presented photographic evidence which they contended was over 10,000 years old. There was an exchange of hardware and information in central Nevada until 1979, at which time there was a conflict which brought the program to an abrupt halt. The beings left, but were to return at a 1623 date, and I don't know what that date is. With the remaining hardware and information, the U.S. government started the back engineering program. All right, so we've, we've listened to our first two chapters tonight. Falcon and Bob Lazar. Now we're going to do go to our third chapter. And so far we've heard some some weird stories from at least one UFO disinformation agent, Bob Lazar. He's telling a different story that doesn't even mention handheld crystals. So where are we, where are we really? Well, once we get to chapter three, this is where I think things kind of pick up a little bit. Okay. In chapter three, I'm going to title Stringfield. So next we have the writings of a well-respected UFO researcher, Leonard Stringfield. So he published seven papers or status reports of UFO crash retrieval testimony gathered mostly from anonymous sources between 1978 and his death in 1994. So when we say mostly anonymous sources, mm-hmm. do, do we have reason to believe he could be faking any of this? Because... Oh, they're anonymous. There's, I mean, there's a lot of people that that at the time uh, basically accused him of that. Um, okay. The interesting thing is that he he died in 1994, but his papers are still around mm-hmm. in the possession of his family. There are some UFO researchers who have been granted access to his papers. Okay. And those researchers have said publicly that um, the people who he was corresponding with were 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 indeed very significant figures. People like three-star U.S. Air Force generals and stuff like that. Hmm. Okay. So that stuff does sort of check out, basically. Um, All right. All right. I'll run with it. So anyway, he published these seven papers, self-published. They didn't sell very well. There's not a a lot of copies out there anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, But they have all been gathered together and put together in a nice soft cover book that's available on Amazon. I bought it last year and read it. Is really, really, really good. It's also mm-hmm. really, really, really expensive. And then right after I finished reading it, somebody put an entire copy online for free. And I was like, oh, man, I was like, dope. But oh. it's all right. It's all good. It's all good. That's OK. I'd rather read something physical. Than yeah. Scroll through a giant PDF. Exactly. That's just me. <laughs> so Stringfield writes in one of his status reports, he writes mm. a story and this is where things get kind of interesting. Okay. According to Stringfield, quote, although details at this time are scant, the two sources responsible for the story are credibly recognized in scientific circles. One, who is acting as an intermediary for the prime source, a longtime friend and colleague, is a professor of physics at a major Midwest university. The prime source is a highly educated individual with a strong scientific background who must remain anonymous for obvious reasons. He chose to take his friend into his confidence to relate that he had, at an unspecified time, a one-on-one, face-to-face meeting with a live extraterrestrial entity under prearranged conditions. Here are the details of my friend's experience with a live EBE, extraterrestrial biological entity, in the 1970s. So, yeah, would, would, would you like me to read this when you get there? Yes, but because here's, here's the thing, just, just so, so our listeners are on, 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 on tap. Here's Stringfield's telling a story 
but the story's being told to him not by the witness but it's a, a secondhand story so it's like mm-hmm. i'm telling you a story and then you tell that story to to your your boss at work and then that boss at work writes the book you know so it's like two people removed you know yeah so there there's there's we have to admit there's an element of telephone here right I suppose. exactly but yeah if you want to read this part that'd be great well, yeah, I mean, you're doing all this talking. I feel like I should at least help out a little bit. It's not like my voice is gone. <laughs> all right. I thought it best if I didn't say anything over the phone about my writing this letter. First of all, I trust this individual about as much as one can trust anyone, to the extent that, if he's lying to me, I really don't know who I could believe. He was asked by officials, either government or military, I don't know which, to meet with the extraterrestrial in order to attempt to communicate telepathically with it. I asked him where to keep it, and he gave me an answer that, while vague, did tell me where. The extraterrestrial was insectoid in appearance, stood about four feet tall, and had large, black, penetrating wraparound eyes that were both powerful and riveting. They seemed to be 30 to 40 times stronger than ours, so we could see well at night, and in dark environments. Its nose and mouth were insignificant. Its arms were long with respect to its body, and its hands had four fingers, two of which seemed longer than the others. Of course, it doesn't say which ones. Like, is it, like throwing horns rock out or is it like i don't know peace sign i don't know whatever i don't know um my contact couldn't determine its sex and had some kind of head covering on not a not a helmet and also wore clothing which my contact hardly noticed since its face was so powerful and riveting it didn't gesture or move my contact didn't notice any eye movement or blinking it was too dark to tell if the skin was reptilian it was cooperative not hostile The room was dimly lit, with modest furniture and a single window. My contact was seated, and it was standing. There was no one else in the room, but my contact thought he was probably being watched, possibly through electronic or psychic surveillance. Oh, get all psychic surveillance. (laughs) The extraterrestrial wasn't captured, and there was no intercept mission. Rather, it was part of an exchange program. My contact wouldn't say when the exchange took place. Their ship, and others, operate out of both East and West Coast areas, which accounts for the confusion among UFO researchers. My contact said that we benefited far more from the exchange program, with the higher, or ethical, ETs, than they did. Dialogue with the ET was normally behind some kind of electrostatic barrier, but the barrier and locks were useless, since it could free itself any time it wanted to. It chose to stay where we wanted it. Their mission here is scientific, not hostile. My contact communicated telepathically for roughly 35 minutes about various topics in astronomy and astrophysics. He wouldn't tell me what they told each other mentally, except that he said it came from a star system so far away that it wasn't worth giving the location. I'm sorry, I need to pause just for a second, not to wet my whistle or anything, but boy, that paragraph really (laughs) has some, I don't know, I, I doubt parts of it, but that's just my gut. That's just my gut. All this stuff's here, but it's useless. It can free itself anytime it wants, but it stays, because it's not hostile. And I'm not going to bother telling you where I'm from. It's too far away. You wouldn't get... No, no, freaking tell me. Freaking tell me, you mantis little twat. I'm like, what the hell? We have star charts. We can figure it out. We can't go there. Sure, fine, but oh my god. <clears throat> Sorry, let me, let me take a drink of water and get back into character here. I like how you, when you read it, you sound like you're Sam Spade or somebody. Well, yeah, because because everybody's a, a hard-boiled... Yeah. Um, I don't know. I love it. All right, here we go. Here we go. How much more do I have here? Oh, okay, not much, not much, okay. It was not from the Zeta Reticuli star system, much farther away. He told me an interesting thing about the crystal communicator that the EBE had there. 
He didn't see it himself. It spoke to someone who'd seen it. Oh, now it's third hand? Seriously? I know, right? Anyway, anyway. Apparently, each event that happens leaves behind some kind of biogravity trace. Like the infrared trace we might leave for a few days if we walk across a field. A few days? Like, no. Anyway, according to information given to my friend, this crystal device distinguishes between biomagnetic and biogravitational signals in the human brain's own crystalline field. So 90s. <laughs> and can sort out biogravity traces from the past. It can coordinate traces from specific events and show them in the crystal. My contact said there are four different kinds of grays. Just randomly? Just randomly bringing up the grays now? Okay. He had the impression that this one seemed to take energy from the surroundings rather than through eating or absorption by photosynthesis. Or by strawberry ice cream. Uh, or by strawberry ice cream, and I'm struggling to say photosynthesis tonight. <laughs> there are both lower, unethical, and higher, ethical, ETs involved with genetic experimentation. Let's just be honest. If anybody's involved with genetic experimentation, regardless of your ethics, <laughs> you, you are lower. It's like, come on, people. We're in trouble because most experts can't discern the intent of the lower ETs from the higher ETs who respect human freedom. That's in parentheses. Mm. All governments in the world originally kept everything quiet until they could find out what was going on. Then, as more information was gotten, was gotten? Who talks like that? <laughs> and an agreement with the aliens was made. It became harder to release the information. There could be a massive public outcry when this is exposed, forcing resignations on a grand scale. Governmental, military, etc. Newspapers. School janitors. Who knows? It's crazy. Cats and dogs living together. Wait, that's Ghostbusters. New people will be needed to come forth with new ideas. My contact said that the meeting was a powerful, riveting experience. Okay. So, as an editor, I have some notes. Yeah, apparently a PhD in physics, but not English uh, grammar. Uh... No, don't, no, no, no. I think I think we've used riveting three times, and I think one is probably two times too many. Right. So we've got. But anyway, thank you for for letting me, you know, the... flex my acting chops here. Well, though, well, no, thank you, thank you. Um, yeah, I mean, here we have a third hand account of again a little crystal device that can show things that happened in the past. So it's, yes. it sort of fits with the Doty thing, the Doty idea. Although, I, I mean, granted, when we were in the, the Doty thing, it wasn't quite as, like, techno babbly as it is now. A lot of Biogravitation, my ass. <laughs> anyway, so you're coming at this from the point of view of none of this sounds like it's realistic or could be real. I, I there's, I, and I, I, I have trouble explaining that's fine. how to discern it, but there, there is, there is a gut reaction where when something is described, I'm following it, I'm making sense, and then there is almost this level of improbability that comes in. And whether it's through technobabble, whether it's through something like, oh, we had all these amazing restraints, but none of them mattered because it could leave any time it wanted. It's just like, it's there's just something about that that screams... Harry Houdini. I mean... <sighs> Well, I mean, yes, I suppose Harry Houdini was a mantoid. Um, no, um, it just something about it just screams. No, this doesn't make sense. I feel like it started to lose you once they got to psychic surveillance. I mean, just because it was laughable. Yeah. See, I don't dispute any of those things, but the way I combat it is, you know, is does does it? It's not not if it sounds realistic or not, but does it sound entertaining or not? And and for me, this is like a plus off the charts. You know what I'm saying? No, I and I coming at it from that point of view. Yes, this is yeah. amazing as heck. Oh yeah, right. And I mean, there's some 
vague similarities to, to some of the other things that we've heard about tonight on the show so far. You know? No no disagreement there. If I have learned anything in the years of doing a show with you, um, there are patterns that repeat. <laughs> right, exactly. Um, now here's a part, this is a little bit of a like a detour on our, our road trip tonight because there's a thing that Stringfield talks about a couple of pages later in this book of his. Now, mm. earlier we learned about the term yellow book from Falcon. And according to Falcon, it was a little, I don't know, history of aliens written by aliens, basically, you know. Um, How to feed and care for your aliens. Right, exactly. Um, however, it's interesting because that term yellow book pops up a couple pages later in Stringsville's book, but in a slightly different context. And I'll, I think I'll just okay. bring it up. Um, so, of course, this is another group of anonymous secondhand accounts, this time courtesy of a re- UFO researcher named Tim Cooper. Now, Cooper's witnesses don't mention any crystal communicators, but he does expand on the yellow book concept. Gotcha. Quote, in 1949, there was a rumor circular, circulating around a small group of scientists that a secret study was underway to evaluate the UFO sighting and supposed recovery of spacecraft and their crews. I saw some notes from a friend of mine. He told me that New Mexico was abuzz with unusual research into nuclear-powered aircraft and bizarre biological experiments. Some people were losing their clearances for no apparent reasons. I saw the word Archangel. In other words, that described four projects that had blue, black, white, and yellow prefixed to the word book. It was not clear what these four colors meant. I was told that these colors represented the nature of the study. Archangel was a classified study conducted in 1949 by the Rand Corporation, the Central Intelligence Agency, and also solicited comments from a Vatican representative (laughs) that concluded three things. One, EBEs were biological, gas-breathing, intelligent animals that have craniums larger than Homo sapiens. They have vascular systems, skeletal structures, possessing a form of manual dexterity like humans. Two, they have cell-like constitutions, somewhat like plants, that are responsive to sunlight. Three, they are human-like, possessing an ability to make right or wrong judgments. The Air Force initiated Project Blue Book mainly for public relations. Basically, the Air Force wanted to gather UFO intelligence on a low level so as not to tip off the Russians to any intensive efforts by the U.S. in development in developing high-technology weapons. Other Air Force investigations other than Blue Book included intelligence operations utilizing high-altitude aircraft and rockets equipped with all kinds of cameras and sensing equipment. All data were classified in a report called Black Book. Hmm. Another Air Force project looked into all the historical records concerning UFO sightings from all around the world. Some of the records were from libraries, newspapers, folklore, mythology, government records of unusual reports from farmers, lighthouse workers, and so forth. (laughs) Interesting two choices, farmers and (laughs) lighthouse workers. Of all things. Huh. <laughs> there was, okay. <laughs> there was talk that the Vatican holds numerous files of sighting. This study was called the White Book. I mean, fair. And Yellow Book was a scientific panel of an unknown government scientific review board. All I know is that there are... that. The scary feelings everyone had who was asked to do experiments on stuff that nobody ever saw before and how we were threatened later if we talked about anything we felt or heard, unquote. Interesting how Yellow Book in this case. Now, I mean, it's kind of fascinating mm. because I've, I've never really kind of heard this angle on stuff. I mean, mm. Blue Book, obviously, everybody knows Blue Book, mm-hmm. but to have Black, White and Yellow Book as well. Mm-hmm. 
is is kind of interesting but i mean like if you're going to do something like that it kind of makes sense mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um but i find it interesting you know again i'm 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 looking for the where does this idea fall apart mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. thing is that you know we get a I mean, we know Blue Book, obviously. Mm-hmm. We get a, a fairly detailed explanation of what Black Book covers. Mm-hmm. You know, White Book, eh, we get enough of a, a description to understand mm-hmm. what it is. And Yellow Book, it's just the vaguest of descriptions. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we don't really get any detail other than it being a scientific panel of some unknown review board. And it was creepy as hell. Mm-hmm. Right, exactly. <laughs> so that, that again, that, that gives me that feeling of like, mm, do, do, do I trust this? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Right. Am I entertained? Yes, of course. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that was our little side excursion. And now we get to like what I like to think of as the fourth and final chapter of our story tonight. Okay. And I'm calling this Dr. Dan. And this is... What a name. This is where everything comes together and it hits the fan and it is just oh my goodness oh Oh, here oh man so i will i I will get the fan ready oh so finally in the early 2000s a former parole and probation officer for the los angeles county court system wait los angeles or or las vegas oh excuse me las vegas las vegas county court system thank you wait is it las vegas county or uh i think it's clark county clark county yeah that's right clark yeah thank you clark county court system by the name of danny b crane c-r-a-n i bet he is (laughs) you bet he is what (laughs) i bet danny b crane i bet he is i bet he's crane right his cousin is johnny b good right that's right. That's exactly right. Exactly. Danny B. Crane. So he brought all of the threads together that we've heard about tonight into the story of the Orion Cube. We finally get to the Orion Cube, the title of tonight's show. Finally. So using the alias of Dr. Dan Burish, he publicly claims to have worked for a government UFO program at Area 51. Hey, I know somebody who did that once. <laughs> he appears very briefly at the end of one of our favorite documentaries called The Alien Highway. Oh, so good. Ladies and gentlemen, if you have not seen the documentary Alien Highway. Oh, so nice. Not, not, not like the, I can't remember if it was Travel Channel or History Channel. Not the TV show that went multiple episodes. Mm. This is a documentary. You can buy it for DVD. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Or you can buy it on DVD, not for DVD. Oh, boy. Um, totally worth seeing. Good guys, so too. Good. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Totally nice guys who put it together. So Dr. Dan appears at the very end of this documentary. And the filmmakers call him a quote-unquote controversial whistleblower. Now, everybody knows the journalist George Knapp, right? You know? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. George Knapp, on the other hand, wrote that Dan Burish... Burish I don't even know how to pronounce it. Dr. Dan... Burish? Burish. Dr. Dan, Burish? Dr. Dan Burish is a manipulative, <clears throat> egocentric, phony baloney goofball. You can quote me, unquote. And you know what, nap time? We just did. <laughs> So we've got a we've got our, our probably our fourth big flag of the e- big red flag of the evening I should say that that even George Knapp thinks is not trustworthy <laughs> right right oh boy <laughs> so among his other claims Doctor Dan claims that he helped an ET named Kiala escape imprisonment at Area Fifty One with the help of a Stargate that he found inside of an ancient temple. 
Oh, I saw that movie. It was good. It was good. And the Egyptians were involved. It was right. so strange. Yeah. Yeah. Kurt, yeah Kurt, I saw that. Kurt Russell was in it. Yeah. Um, one of my favorite Dr. Dan stories is how he claims that the pilots of the Janet flights that transport workers to and from Area 51 continually play Neil Diamond's 1980 song America over the e- wow. in-flight okay. PA system. Okay, wait a second, wait a second. <laughs> and this claim was made in the early 2000s? Yes, yes. God, I mean, in fact, that's great and all, but that's now a 44-year-old song. Can we pick something new? Let's let's this is this this part of his Hale, his saga is so funny. Let's listen to a really quick clip of that. Oh, here we go. Okay. Um, the 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 captain would normally turn on the PA system in the in the flights where we could hear him actually communicating with with ground control. Uh, and you know there was no um, music playing at the time when the, when the right. PA would come on that that would automatically cut off. Um, and later on, I'd mentioned that the um, uh, Neil, Diamond Neil Diamond's coming to America. I love the song. Neil, I love you, but over and over and over again, it gets kind of... Like a closed loop? Mm-hmm. Did they play the whole song, or was it just the phrase, coming to America? It was the whole song. Okay. That helped. <laughs> no, no, it was the whole song, oh God, over and over again. That, anyway. So, now, Dan's account of the history of the Orion Cube brings together many of the the tales we've heard so far tonight. In his telling, the story takes on additional details and sounds almost unbelievable. What are generally regarded as aliens by the general public are actually future humans traveling in time machines back to Earth in the 20th century. Now, that's interesting because you've had that theory before, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, you know, we see... There are newspaper accounts of saucer-shaped craft being seen over the southwest United States, but like in the 1880s and stuff, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which is like, you know, if you listen to some UFO researchers, they think, oh, they're all showing up in New Mexico because that's where the A-bomb was exploded and somehow they wanted to check up on us savages. But right. well, wait a second, you know, why are they going there like in the 1880s? Anyway, so Dr. Dan is saying that aliens are actually humans they're just from the future and according to dr dan two-thirds of humanity will someday someday die in a nuclear catastrophe some of the survivors hid uh underground while others remain on the surface other groups of survivors of the extinction colonized the moon mars and finally planets in the orion constellation oh wait what hold on okay i'm sorry you do realize that all the stars in that constellation are different distances from each other they're not they're not they're not on a flat plane equal distance from us, right? Well, why? Well, hey, you know, I mean, I guess humans in the future could do whatever they like. I don't know. And, anyway, anyway. Yeah. Okay, yeah. back to Dr. Deck. So these creatures, they're actually the evolution, the future evolution of our species over the course of thousands of years, right? Sure. Now these, here's where things get weird. These time travelers originate from different centuries and have different agendas. Okay. They are distinguished into four groups. Oh, oddly enough, there's four again. Four again, right. Okay. Our government identifies different groups using an alphanumeric system. They're classified with the letter P, which means present time, and the years that are in the future. For example, the the beings that crashed outside Roswell, New Mexico in 1947 are designated P-24. That means 
from the present time plus 24,000 years in the future. Oh, oh, 24,000. I'm like, 24 years? <laughs> no, right. Yeah, I'm like, that makes no sense at all. 24 plus 47, okay. that's like 1971. Right, exactly. Right, yeah. <laughs> They're coming back with uh, bell bottoms and wide collars. Um, that's exactly right. Right. Now, some of these creatures, or descendants, I guess you might call them, some of them travel in time to solve certain problem. Now, there's P50... <laughs> so, get this. There's P52s, not the B52s. That, oh, that's not, a bummer. Not, not rock lobster or anything. I, I would, I would, I for one welcome our rock lobster overlords. Right, right. You know, it's not. They're not coming from the love shack. This isn't the B fifty twos. There's the P fifty twos, right? Now, okay. Now these are called the Orions. They're they're a cover band, right? Right, exactly. Now the Orions are the most benevolent of these time traveling humans, basically. Now on the other hand, there's P forty fives, and they're they're the most Machiavellian, and they're actually okay. they're actually thirsty for. Um, for the nuclear catastrophe to, to occur in our future to, to justify their existence, basically. Look, you know, you don't really need somebody else's pain to justify your own existence. I think these guys need therapy. So the P54, P45s, according to Dr. Dan, they're, they're, the, they're the creatures that are, you know, they're, they're com- committing most of the uh, quote-unquote alien abductions. They lack emotional empathy. They're, they see an intent on shaping the timeline of Earth's history to fit their own goals, okay? Oh, man. So Oh, this this is this is we're, we're already we're pretty much we're really out there at this point right so we we have hit 88 and we are seri- seeing some serious shit. right exactly okay so get this hold on to your hats ladies and gentlemen oh man let me go get my hat in 1954 president eisenhower according to dr dan met with representatives of the p-52 orions at edwards air force base for the purpose of signing a treaty to avoid right. the nuclear catastrophe mentioned earlier Okay, okay. In this meeting, diplomatic discussions between civilizations were made, and an agreement was adopted allowing the P-52s to abduct human beings in order to study them, provided they not suffer or remember anything of what happened. Right, and that obviously isn't working out very well for them. (laughs) In exchange, Eisenhower was given something called the Orion Cube. Hey, there, now we finally get to the name. Yes, and it's also nicknamed the Bible or the Yellow Book. And Why, Why would you nickname it the Bible? Like, there's... There's already one of those. There, 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 this is true. Like, this is, mm, okay, sorry. Okay. But, uh, of course, it's not exactly a book. It's a block of material approximately 6.35 centimeters thick. Oh, my God. Why are we using the metric? I it's, don't understand metric. I'm American. It's, it's transparent in appearance. Uh, it is a 20 by 28 centimeter object that is constructed of clear, heavy, fiberglass looking type material. A yellowish color would emanate from the top of the device upon activation, and the borders of the device, it's a bright yellow color, hence the nickname Yellow Book. Okay, okay, okay. It is a quantum viewing device that, when activated, allows access to holographically recorded history. When when the... yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go. I was just going to say it's 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 a tablet with the History Channel app loaded on it. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, when the reader looks at the transparent surface, words and pictures suddenly appear. The Orion Cube is said to be a sort of holographic image generator which can project 3D pictures of the information it contains. When the reader places the device close to their eyes, they will begin seeing words and images flashing on the screen. Depending upon the particular language the viewer is thinking, that particular language will appear. All right, so it's psychic. Right. So far, scientists have identified 80 different languages. In- Interestingly, whereas Falcon and Stringfield claim that Yellow Book refer to a government document, Dr. Dan says that it refers to the crystal device itself. Okay. Hold hold on one second right. there. I have I have just 
I've just had a realization with respect to the Orion Cube that, um, I I mean, I'm not sure that I can get past. Okay, hit hit me, hit me. Well, it's it's 20 by 28 by 6 and change. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's not a cube. (laughs) <laughs> that's a rectangular prism. A rhombus, yes. <laughs> it's I'm it's not even really a rhombus. No, no. It is it's a rectangular prism and and it's not a cube. The Orion rectangular <clears throat> prism. I think that probably I mean more... it does not roll off the tongue as well. I get that. Right. I get that. So if it's a marketing thing. Right. Right. I mean the Chinese gooseberry did become the kiwi. I understand that. Exactly. So but still <laughs> like I was picturing a cube. Right. Right, and I I feel let down now. Oh, I'm sorry. No, it's not your fault. It's it's, it's you know I'm gonna say it's Doctor Dan's fault. It's he's, the one, he's the one who's giving these exact measurements in centimeters of all things. Oh, jeez. Anyway, so according to Doctor Dan, the Orion Cube or Yellow Book contains references to biblical events, including a holographic depiction of the crucifixion of Jesus. Oh, fun times. The Orions demonstrated this technology in April 1964 at Holloman Air Force Base in New Mexico to an assembled group of U.S. generals who filmed the incident. They were shown the actual crucifixion in a detailed three-dimensional light laser video projection. I remember these... these the, we used to have those things in the <laughs> 80s, and it was uh, it was either a cube or a pyramid shape or something, and you know, you'd have holograph stuff etched inside it. Yeah. That's totally what I'm picturing. Okay. So the generals commentated that what they viewed was also a hologram history of... video of the events surrounding the last days of jesus it also contains an endless series of historical stories and images from our galaxy diaries of other inhabited planets and other interesting stories from just about anywhere in the universe it also contains the complete storyline of earth's most recent history as well as our distant past it is the true and correct history of humankind this oh only sith steal in absolutes <laughs> but okay this technology can somehow access the true and real history of all events of all time I, mm, mm, mm. In, in dr dan's telling the orion cube is something like a cross between a psychic's legendary crystal ball mixed with the electronic encyclopedia and douglas adams the hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy I mean, okay, I, I'll 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 get in on that last part, especially if it uses the same vocal talent. Oh my gosh, incredibly! Dark. And, and 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 the same look and feel. Right, exactly. Like that was. Good. I mean, from the miniseries, the the what nineteen eighty one, I think miniseries. Anyway, the animation was actually really good in that. Oh, the animation was great. Mm-hmm. I loved that so much. I mean, we grew up watching that. My question is, why Jesus? Oh. Like, of all the things in history, why Jesus? Well, you could watch anything like, in it. Why? I know. You could tune but, it into any but, channel, any any event, any any. I century. get that. I get that. But why, why specifically pick that, you know, Judeo-Christian, you know, I mean, maybe that just makes the most sense to, you know, the military in the 60s, I guess. Yeah, maybe, like, maybe. If you're showing it to the military, show them the American Civil War. Show them... Uh, uh, the Battle of eighteen, you know, or the War of eighteen twelve, or something. Something, something. San Juan Hill. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I just why Jesus? Why? Why do we fixate? Anyway. 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 Incredibly. Now this is where, like, oh, now now we're getting incredible. Well, okay. Here's the part where it's like this is where I start to lose it, and I, oh, I think boy. I think okay, I, now I'm on board. I know. I think I think I think we've lost you and most of our listeners a long time ago. But anyway, here's where I I start to have problems. <laughs> Okay. Incredibly, Dr. Dan also claims that the Orion Cube can predict future events, or rather future... I mean, like, 
Sure. Or rather, future occurrence probabilities. Um, it was supposedly passed between the rich and powerful to be able to choose well in their lives. And none of them have. <laughs> After which, it spent some time in a locked vault within the Scottish Rite Masonic Temple in Washington, D.C. Which is where the Ark of the Covenant is being held after Indiana Jones found it. So now we've the, the Masons have joined our story so far tonight. Okay. <laughs> it's Templar gold. <laughs> yeah. It's a Bobby Dazzler. It's everything. So this device was later moved to Area 51. Now, because sure. Right, because sure. Supposedly, one of the biggest threats to the powers that be is that anyone who can take a factual look into the past, plus foresee future events, has gained far more access to clandestine operations than they can allow. This is their core secret, even more important than UFO tech. Because, of course, it is. Now, wait a second, wait a second. If, if you can look at the, the, what did they say, the real and true? Yeah. Um, the, yes, the true and real history of all events from all time yeah and that and that we're we're literally talking anything so i could like i'm just going to pick something just super simple and 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 totally stupid yeah right i could look and see if like my kid was lying to me tonight about brushing his teeth or if you lost your car keys yesterday you could walk rewind things in the orion cube and find out where your car keys are see there you go now we're looking at practical uses now you're getting for excited. The Ryan Cube. Now you're getting excited. Now, now I feel like the telemarketer, and now I've got you on the hook, and you want to buy one. I feel like I, I does it come with a certificate of authenticity <laughs> from from the from, from the Franklin Mint from I, or or one of those one of those fancy guilds that they talk about when it comes to pyramid power. Oh right, right, yes. Um. Anyway, I'm sorry. I just it was one of those things where I was like, wait a second. Like, yeah, there's some practical applications for this if it were if it were a thing. Like, I wouldn't even worry about, like, ancient history or, like, what's the probability of me ever winning the lottery? It's like, hey, look. Yeah. <laughs> Damn it, where did I leave my phone? Yeah. <clears throat> but here's the problem. All is not well with the Orion Cube. You don't say. Apparently, its output, according to Dr. Dan, is susceptible to changes unintentionally provided to it by the users. Oh, so it's ChatGPT. Mm-hmm. Only, gotcha. Only the P-52 Orions and those who have been trained by them can operate the device without substantially altering its output. <laughs> Con- oh my God. Consequently, the government began a project at Area S-4 where Bob Lazar claimed to have worked called Looking Glass, which is... Oh, my... <laughs> so now the project, the project Looking Glass device was used to predict the potential probability of future events similar to the Orion Cube but without as many errors. Mm, okay. The Looking Glass project on level 2 at facility S4 at Area 51 was known as Alice's Floor. Above the door frame leading into the lab that contains the Looking Glass project, there is a large 3 <laughs> this is great. There is a large 3 foot tall stuffed white rabbit symbolic of Alice in Wonderland holding a backward watch in its hand mounted permanently to the frame. The rabbit was described as wearing a royal maroon vest with gold fringes and black buttons. Oh my gosh. Our, our tax dollars at work. I mean, really, this, really. This, thank you. I'd, I'd, like to, I'd like to just personally think that my exact tax dollars paid for that exact thing and not like some horrible oh. genocidal war somewhere. Oh my gosh. Um, right. The, I... I, I uh, so this device, this this dingus, 
<laughs> so this really is becoming yeah, a dingus. This, this dingus. It utilizes six composites, electromagnetic fields, and a high height adjustable rotating cylinder, which is injected with a specific type of gas. Yeah, there's a lot of gas in this story. I'll tell you that. The entire assembly can be rotated 90 degrees from the horizontal axis. This allows scientists to warp the local fabric of space-time both forward and backwards by long or short distances relative to present time. Once okay, but but what does rotating it on any axis have to do with any of that? Well, according to Dr. Dan, once the device is tuned properly, images of probable future events are projected into an open space within the fields, similar to a hologram. The data output of the device, images, and in some cases sounds, were then captured via high-resolution audio-video recording device. Which in 2000 wasn't even your smartphone. <laughs> if multiple probabilities of the same event were displayed, they could be de-interlaced by use of specific software platforms. Holy cow! So, so, so they ran it through video editing software. Right. Oh Good. my god. Gosh. I, oh man! Doctor Dan, oh, man! Doctor I Dan, Doctor Dan you, is the man. When you when you start with a name like Doctor Dan, Doctor Dan, you know you're just you're screaming. You know, trust me. Um, and nobody's listening. Well, if <laughs> I mean... if, if if you know if all of the if, 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 to make matters worse for Doctor Dan, back oh, when he you don't say when he was in his moment of fame, he predicted inaccurately, as it turns out, that the Earth was scheduled for a di- disastrous pole shift in 2012, which would decimate oh, the planet. Oh wait, wait, wait! A pole shift? Yeah, a pole shift. Pole shift. Art Bell's been calling for that since the early 90s. <sighs> but of course, it's now 2024, and the pole shift didn't happen. No. Nope. So yeah. But, you know, on the other hand, some of the details of Dr. Dan's Ryan Cube story, some of the details sort of fit with some of the other details we've learned tonight. So, for instance, um, in the 1988 television special UFO cover-up Live, the artist's rendition of the device, the handheld crystal, did have a yellowish glow. So I'll give him that. Okay. I'll give him that. Okay. Um, Lazar did speak about aliens possessing photographic evidence from the Earth's distant past. Okay. Um, both Lazar and Dr. Dan say that there was something called Project Looking Glass at S4 that dealt with the physics of seeing back in time. So there's there's a connection there. Okay. Mm-hmm. And according to, uh, to Leonard Stringfield's third-hand anonymous source... Um, there were four groups of aliens, some ethical and some ethical. Um, according to Dr. Dan, there were four P groups, you might say, of humans from the future, from different times. Um, there was some sort of agreement. There were aliens possessing this device. Uh, according to Stringfield, the aliens came from a star system so much far, farther away, it wasn't worth giving the location. It was not from the Zeta Reticuli star system, much farther away. That's according to Stringfield. Mm-hmm, now, mm-hmm. This is kind of interesting. For the record, Zeta Reticuli is about 39 light years from Earth. Now, the middle star in the sword belt of Orion in the Orion Nebula okay. yep, yep. is 1,344 light years away. So significantly further. So according to Dr. Dan, they, these are this is devices coming from the Orions, quote unquote. So that's significantly further. Um, so you know, I mean, I'm not going to entirely toss him to the curve. I'm going to say at least his story has some. It fits the the puzzle piece does fit a little bit. But so let me. Yeah. May I posit yeah, something yeah, really quick? Yeah. I, I just just listening to you talk about this. So so Dr. Dan, he's technically the most recent. What early 2000s, yeah, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and Stringfield was early nineties. Early nineties, 
Um, but some of the stuff was as far back as the late 70s, right? His anonymous source was claiming that it happened in the late 70s, yeah. Okay, 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 fair enough. And then obviously Bob Lazar, late 80s, early 90s. Yeah. Um, and who am I forgetting? Richard Doty, a.k.a. Falcon, that's 88. Oh, yes, of course, that's 88. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. so, I mean, humor me, because I'm, I'm kind of working this theory out yeah. on the fly. Yeah. Could Dr. Dan have simply watched all this stuff? Mm-hmm. And said, oh, I'm going to take these elements and I'm going to expand on them mm-hmm. because he's the most recent one. And, and he could have just watched all the same oh, yeah. stuff that we watched growing up. Yeah, I think that I think that the story we've heard tonight has about 18 giant red warning flags in it. And I think that Dr. Dan's whole version of the story, I don't believe any of it. Okay. Um, I think that... Entertaining as heck. We can from, agree on from that. From the point of view of entertainment value, it's the best of the stories, for sure. <laughs> yes. Um, I think the, I think Rick Doty's involvement is a huge problem. And his, his version of the story is the earliest one we have. So that's a big mm-hmm. problem. In fact, there's only one way I can see how... If, this, if there's any truth to any of this, if this little mm-hmm. crystal does exist, there's only one way I can, there's only one version of the story that makes sense to me. And okay. here's what I think happened. Um, if there is any truth, um, I think that it's possible that Stringfield was in communications with an anonymous source who really is a university professor who really did meet with an alien in the 70s, who really did learn about this magic crystal. And I think that maybe Rick Doty and his government managers maybe they tapped stringfield's phone read his mail at the time he was a very well-known quote-unquote you know not a whistleblower but a person that whistleblowers would go to Mm-mm-mm. um yep. and maybe what happened was they they thought oh shoot somebody's tell, somebody's you know squealing about this cube thing so we gotta we gotta heat him bit him off at the pass so then follow me here Consequently, Rick Doty was assigned to muddy the waters by appearing on television in 1988 to tell a tale of the cube wrapped in wrapped inside an unbelievable wraparound story involving strawberry-flavored ice cream. Yes, which I would go so far as to imagine, like, what would be the most bonkers thing I could say? <laughs> he He's sitting there, like, eating a bowl of strawberry ice cream, and like, what would... Looks down... <laughs> I've got it. Right. And then years later, Dr. Dan, Dr. Dan grabbed both the real and fake portions of the story and wove with them into his own tall tale. Like that's, if there's any truth, that's the only scenario that kind of makes sense to me. But I mean, I'm not going to disagree with that, honestly. Yeah. But ultimately, I, I just, I love the idea of the Orion Cube so much, possibly because I love history. Mm-hmm. And the cube, if, if it is real. If it is real, it gives us all the promise of traveling back in time without any without any of the risks elaborated by Doc Brown. But also without any cool stainless steel cars, because honestly, <laughs> the Cybertruck is not cool. It looks weird. It looks horrible. I mean, with the cube, we could safely see into the past without risking changing it. It's better than watching YouTube. I, Most of the time. No, I don't care so much for the idea that I can tell the future, probably because, like, I choose to believe in free will. Mm-hmm. Um, but if it does tell the future, I'm glad that it doesn't do so very well. And I just think it's hilarious that it's like, oh, yeah, it, it, it can, you know, show probabilities, but all you untrained, monkey-brained humans, you know, keep keep giving it, like improper input and so it spits back gobbledygook (laughs) right oh my god now of course a world where imagine a world where every human being 
instead of just having a smartphone, or maybe in addition to having a smartphone, because everybody has one, they also have their own Orion Cube. I mean, that's a world without the possibility of privacy, a world without the possibility of falsehood. No crimes mm. could be unsolvable. The only privacy we could hope to have are the thoughts inside our heads. Would powerful politicians who might want to cheat on their taxes or safeguard nuclear secrets want this technology in the hands of the public? Probably not. Oh, I'd say likely not. But man, it w- we we could learn so much. We could, I could, I could, I could visit. I could see what my old childhood toy store looked like again, and walk down the aisles, and I could. Oh, this just you know. I like I like that you apply it to something like that. Oh, it's just it's it's such an for how attractive it sounds. The fact that nobody talks about this thing anymore, for, for the most part. Oh, I think mm-hmm. it's, I think it's a crying shame. And listeners, if anybody's still listening to me rambling after so much time about this, <laughs> if anybody knows of any sort of book or article somewhere that that does a better job of pulling all these tales together into one coherent narrative, please let me know because I'm sure there's parts of the story I'm missing. It's so weird and bizarre and footnotey. Um, well, and I, I know we've got some listeners out there who have done a really good job of finding some obscure stuff and, mm-hmm. and sharing some of that with us. So hopefully uh, if there is something like that out there, they'll be able to step up and be like, hey, look over here. What would you want to watch on the Orion Cube? God, that's a great question. I mean, I mean, any number of things. Mm. Good heavens. What comes to mind first? I, I would love to see like... I don't know, some famous Bob Marley concert. How about the grassy knoll at Dealey Prasa? I mean, yeah, that's always an option. <laughs> I'm, o- I'm over here thinking of like, like, who could I see live that I never got to see live? And right. you're like, we could answer Kennedy. I'm like, yeah, we, we, we could. Right. We could. Right. I mean, but let's, let's be honest. Let's, let's, look at, let's look at Roswell 1947. Let's see if anything actually happened there. Right, exactly. Um, or maybe, maybe the crystal does exist, and the government found out that Stringfield was going to write a paper about it because they found out by watching it in the crystal. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It's so weird to think about, but I just love it. Oh. Go back and watch old TV shows that we grew up watching that just oh, aren't able to be found anywhere. The, the missing Doctor Who episodes. Yeah. Oh, there you go. We can record <gasps> the missing episodes. Yes. Of Doctor Who, where they, they, they deleted the tapes in the 70s. Yes, you, there you go. You can take them to Gallifrey Perfect. next year, Gallifrey 1. Oh, my God. I'd take them to the BBC and be like, here, you could just have them. <laughs> and then every collector who might own a missing episode and is afraid to come forward with it would be like, oh, well, I guess this ain't worth anything anymore. And they could suck it. Do you think there really are secret copies that I, are I, 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 private vaults I somewhere? Have, I have I have decent reason to believe that at least a couple of episodes may still exist out there uh, in private hands. Oh, now now you've got anonymous sources. I like it. Yeah, I don't know how anonymous they are. I mean, they're they're talked about pretty widely, but oh. it's not like we know who these collectors are. Mm, the plot thickens. Yeah. Well, ladies. Anyway, ladies and gentlemen, if any of you out there <laughs> have any thoughts about what you'd want to watch in the other Ryan queue, please let us know. Yeah, yeah, I'd be curious to hear some some answers to that. That'd be cool. Ah. Dude, I don't know what to tell you, man. This, this, this is this is wild. This is a trip. <laughs> it's pretty insane, that's for sure. It it is, uh, and I and I definitely have been have been entertained. Okay. And isn't that all all we want sometimes? Aww. Well, if you're not tired of talking just yet, you do have a uh, descent into the archive for us. What do you have? Right tonight, ladies and gentlemen, we have an article from the Bismarck Daily Tribune newspaper from. 
August 2nd, 1908. It's a story of a haunted house. and Nice. <clears throat> I got to tell you, a lot of stories about haunted houses, the ghosts do some pretty scary things. I kind of think that in this story, at least, the living people are acting much more in a much more frightening way than the ghosts are. Maybe, maybe you can tell me what you think. Oh. Here we go. Haunted house in Chicago drops, draw, draws a mob which is dispersed by firemen. Whoa. Hmm. Thousands of people jammed the streets around the haunted house, 181 23rd Street, with the hope of seeing the ghost which had driven two families from the premises. Time and again, the police charged the crowds without avail. The Batcheldor family, which occupies the house, um, uh, the Batcheldor family occupies the house. Mrs. Batcheldor says that today she will probably call upon her church to hold sacred services in the house. She says she has called upon scientists to explain the phenomena without success. Now she will try the power of prayer. As early as six o'clock in the evening, the crowds flock to the house. Quote, let me at the ghost, screamed a young girl. If I catch him, I'll kiss him. Oh, wow. Oh, I didn't see that coming. <laughs> Show it to me, said a big laborer. I eat ghosts for breakfast. Let us add what? him. <laughs> what? What is going on? Police stationed at the doors of the little house had all they could to keep the all they could to keep the mob from breaking through. The fire department engine companies 23 and 36 sprinkled the mob until it dispersed. Sprinkled. Where, yeah, right. Sprinkled. Um, three people died in the house from the Sitkri family. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. Okay. Which, okay. Which owned it before? The spook started spooking Sunday. First, a picture. <laughs> first, a picture of the dead Mister Sitkri jumped around and then fell to the floor. Then the chairs began to moan. They did not. <laughs> they did not squeak or creak. They moaned long and low, like the sounds emitted by pigeons. Hmm. Wait, wait. <laughs> I have never heard a pigeon moan. What the flip? I know. And then the great dining table lifted itself in the air and moved about the room. Oh Whoa, my god! What? So we. Um. We've got a haunted house in Chicago, a poltergeist activity. We've got girls that want to kiss the ghost. We've got a laborer who eats ghosts for breakfast. What is going on here in Chicago in 1908? I don't even know, but I feel like this could be a movie. I feel like you could make a movie about this. We've, we've heard Maybe some, not a good movie, but you can make a movie about this. We've heard some bizarre stories tonight, that's for sure. So, ladies, and I think we have heard some of the most <laughs> bizarre stories we have ever covered. Insanity, nonsense, craziness bizarreness oh my god Enter cats and dogs living to oh wait no that's still ghostbusters entertaining as hell though yes oh. for sure man for sure well seb i mean i'm glad you didn't have to do jury duty but i'm extra <laughs> glad that you wrote all this madness up <laughs> because that's fantastic uh oh orion cube i would pay i would pay at least a hundred dollars for an orion cube i i i i mean Gosh, it's a lot cheaper than a cell phone. I'll give you that. I know, right? Oh, you know? Geez. So good. Could I put an Orion Cube in my original Game Boy and use that? To, I don't know. So, no, yeah, nobody would be the wiser. they just think you're, like, just, right? like, gaming out. Just a retro, retro gamer. I yeah. like it. I like it. I don't know. Anyway. Oh. <laughs> wow. Holy moly. Holy moly. That is our show for this month, folks. You can follow us over on Twitter at Phenomena City. You can follow me over there at 
busbuddha 71 and you can follow seb at clan mcmuffin oh yeah please subscribe to us wherever you get your podcast be sure to rate and review us as well i'm not going to tell you to give us five stars because when everybody's giving five stars what is five stars really worth i know you're feeding the algorithm i get it so if you want to I'm not going to stop you. And we want to give plenty of mahalas to the Tikiaki Orchestra for letting us use their tunes as our intro and outro music. Please go give them a follow over on uh, Instagram at Tikiyaki and check out TikiyakiOrchestra.com to buy their merch and their music. We've got merch. Oh boy, mm. do we have merch. That is over at notlg.myspreadshop.com. We've got all new artwork on shirts, hats, totes, more. I literally just in the past couple of weeks have worked up two more designs Ooh. that I'm going to try to uh, get up there before this episode drops. So getting a little timey-wimey with you all there. Sorry about that. Um, and yeah, we've, we've got more coming. Hopefully that'll be up by the time you hear this episode. Go check it out. Um, if you want to throw some cash our way to keep the hosting going, we always appreciate that. You can do that over at patreon.com slash N-O-T-L-G. Oh, that is it for us this month. We will catch you in April. In the meantime, I don't know, man. Go find an Orion Cube. Go have some strawberry ice cream. Go have some strawberry ice cream. Yeah, that sounds good. I could go mm-hmm. for some dessert right now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Ah. And we'll catch you next time. Good night. Good night, folks. Five, four, three, two, one. All right, there's our sink. Cool. And there's our kitchen, and there's our dishwasher. Mm-hmm. But I'm bummed. And the train will be here soon. <laughs>